Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. This is chapter number 17, and I'm so glad that you're in our services today. If you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you. We are sure glad that you chose to spend your morning with us here at Liberty Baptist Church. It's kind of a... Um, a national holiday, or I should say a church holiday, that we take time once a year, especially in this fall season, to enjoy one another after the services. Our back area is uh, turned into an autumn wonderland. And there is a lot of activities. There's food trucks. I hope that you will stick around this afternoon and look around. There's a whole lot of people in this room that you don't know. So that means they need a friend, and you need a friend too, right, Chris? So we all need friends. And so God's brought you here today in part because you need friends, and if you don't need friends, you need a church, and if you don't need a church, you need God. And uh, <laughs> so God brought you here today. If you're having a good day so far, say yes. Genesis chapter number 17. For those of you who are guests today, my name is Matt Tice, and I serve here as the executive pastor of Liberty Baptist Church. And we are at the tail end of a study that we began a few weeks ago entitled Signs and Signals. And it works in coordination with the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were the founding members of the nation of Israel. They were called of God to start a great nation. In Genesis chapter 12, God told Abram that in you, all nations of the earth would be blessed. It would be through Abraham and Sarah that they would start the nation of Israel and their descendants would bless in the stories of David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's den and all of those stories that we know that give people of faith confidence that there is a God and that God knows them and he has a plan and a path for their life. All of those stories began with Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter number 12. We started this lesson at talking about their lives, but in Genesis chapter 17, I'll give you a quick overview, overview. In Genesis chapter 17, we see God bringing that promise to fruition. If you've got the scriptures, you can follow along, or you can look on the, script, on the boards where it says this, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt call her name Sarai, don't call her that any longer, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. And I will give thee a son also of her. Oh, that's a wonderful promise. The problem is that when this is being written, Sarah is 90 years old. And Abraham is 100 years old. Somebody say old. That's old. Together, they are 190 years old. That's old. You know... If you say, man, that seems really old, and you're like, how do I picture that? Just look at the news at Congress, Senate, and the White House. You'll see old. That's all over the place. How do I know is this really, that it's old, okay? The Bible says, and I'm going to bless her, and I'm going to give her a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed, 
And he said in this heart, shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? I'm a hundred. I'm going to have a kid. And shall Sarah also that is 90 years old bear? She's 90 years old. She's going to have a child. And God says in verse number 19, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Father, I pray in the next few minutes you would allow me to communicate with clarity the truths from your word that will be a help to uh, these, my friends. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we started this study a few weeks ago, we looked at the fact that God has a calling, a plan for each of our lives. It doesn't matter if you're 90 years old or if you're 19 years old in this room. God has a plan, a call for each one of our lives. And he has something he wants you to do and things that he wants you to accomplish. He has a career. He has companionship. God wants to work in your life. You're not just an anonymous person to the Lord. God knows every detail of who you are. Oh, and he desires for you to know his plan. So there are certain things that God will say, oh, no, you don't do that. That's a stop. Don't do that. And then there's certain things God says, oh, yeah, go for it. Go, 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 go. But then there are certain times where it's not just as black and white or can we use red and green. So when we see yellow lights, it makes us realize it's time to make a decision. And there's nine questions that we can go through from the Word of God to find out if this is what God wants me to do or if this is something God doesn't want me to do. We talked about following God's plan for our life, and as we follow God's plan for our life, He puts into our life other people. First and foremost, He gives us His Word. And the Bible tells us that whenever I start to follow the plan of God for my life, He gives me the power of His Holy Spirit through salvation. He gives me companions, and He gives me a church to follow. And so God desires not for me to ride solo throughout life. God desires for me to merge my life with others so that His plans can come to fruition. There are certain times as we're going through life where we make bad decisions. And in those bad decisions, those challenging circumstances, they're really dead ends. And rather than working through a dead end, rather than hitting a dead end and saying, well, I'm going to just keep going, I'm going to keep going, the only way to deal with dead ends when you find yourself in a losing proposition, the only thing to do in those circumstances is to make a U-turn. Then we notice from the Word of God that God has a specific plan for Matt. And Matt's plan is different than what God might have for your life. So my plan is different than what God has for Paul's plan, and Paul's plan is different than Danny's plan, and and Danny's plan is different than Mike's plan. And so I cannot be consumed with looking at others and saying, oh, how come my life's not like theirs? How come my life's not like theirs? Oh, because God wants me to walk his plan for my life. I'm not supposed to walk somebody else's life. I walk where God wants me to, and I don't walk where I'm not supposed to walk. The Bible says they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. So when I'm looking at others as the measurement of success, I have not found God's plan for my life. I'm rather in some type of sordid um, comparison that's always going to leave me disappointed. So we talked about walk and don't walk. Then last Sunday, we saw that how even doing the will of God for our life, we can make poor choices. We can make detours. And it's not as if we have abandoned God, but we start to scheme. And in those schemes, sometimes we find setbacks. And those setbacks lead us into a place that, oh, I should have just trusted the Lord. I should have just listened to what the navigator says. In this morning's study, we want to look at the fact that God has one way. 
There's one way that God had always wanted to use his promises in Abraham and Sarai's life. There was one way that God intended for his work to be done. And in all of the schemes and in all of the situations, there was one way that God was going to bring about the promise of a great nation, the promise of his blessing, the promise of his power here on his earth through Abram and Sarai. God had always planned for it to be one way, but it was somewhat inconceivable. Today's lesson is entitled One Way as we look at how God desires to use his plan, his purposes in our life, and we have to follow it with great trust. I, I was challenged about using, in your notes, you'll see the first point today is the word inconceivable. And I was challenged about using this word because I thought that for many of you, as soon as I put the word inconceivable on the screen, you would be thinking of this guy. <laughs> <clears throat> and so, and if I were to put this on here the whole time, you would be thinking, inconceivable, and you're wondering when Andre the Giant is going to pop out of some place, and the man with six fingers, okay, has nothing to do with that. The word inconceivable has everything to do with the fact that we're talking about a hundred-year-old dude, 100 years old, and his wife is 90, and God told them, as we just read in the scriptures a few moments ago, God said to them, you're going to build a great nation. And in you will all nations of the earth be blessed. And in you, we're going to see a child born. Now, this promise was given to Abram and Sarah decades before. There was a, a process in their life where they knew God wanted them to do this and that God was going to work in their life. But for decades, they had done everything they knew possible to see that promise come to fruition. But it just wasn't working. So they started schemes. And in these schemes, Abraham had the idea one day as he's about 70 years old and he looks around and he says, well, I'm not going to have any children. And my wife, who's now 60 years old, she's not going to have any children. And maybe God wants this promise to come through my head steward, my chief butler, Eleazar. Maybe he'll be the guy. And God says, no, he's not the guy. A child born out of you. So another decade goes by. And in this decade of still no children with his 75-year-old wife, and he's an 85-year-old man, he thinks, well, maybe there's another scheme. And so they, they find a surrogate mom. And in this surrogate mom, they find Abraham and Hagar. She conceives a child. And God says, no, I, I never told you that was the way it was supposed to be. So here is Abram, another 14, 15 years removed from that scheme. And God says, I'm going to use you and Sarai. It's interesting to me that in our walk with God, oftentimes we feel like we have to scheme or we have to maneuver. God says to do something, and we almost think as if God has become too old to understand our circumstances. And so we use words like, well, I know the Bible says, but. Oh, I know the word of God says this, or, and, I, and I'm trusting the Lord. I'm just having a difficult time understanding how. And so we work out schemes, and our schemes, we try to maneuver or manufacture or create on our own ways to bring God's will to their life. I know I shouldn't lie, but it was a good lie for this situation. And those schemes remind us so much of what Sarah and Abraham had been doing. It was inconceivable. In those schemes, they always saw a setback. Every single time 
that they tried to manufacture the work of God in their life, they saw a setback. I know we shouldn't, but... Maybe this isn't the best thing, but, but whenever they were putting their schemes into place, they always found a setback. And that's a great lesson for us to learn. Whenever we try to manufacture the work of God or go against what we know God wants us to do, you're always going to face a setback. That's the story of detours. God had blessed Abram with Sarai. And so this inconceivable truth that's unbelievable. How is that going to happen? Is it going to come because of schemes, those only set setbacks? The promise of God is going to come from something that was given to Abraham many, many years before. The story is going to be about a guy named Isaac. Sarah and Abraham would have a child together. The Bible tells us this, that this story is absolutely unbelievable. Look at verse number 17. If you still have your Bibles open, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 17, then Abraham fell upon his face and he laughed. Have you ever been in a place where you weren't supposed to laugh? But church, yeah, right? (laughs) Don't thank you, Juan. That's why you're in the front row today because last week you were just causing a bunch of nonsense back there. So thank you, Melissa, for helping him with that. Yeah! You ever been in a church service and something just like, <laughs> and, and maybe your spouse, they're like, stop it. Like, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> it's like, get off the Instagram. No, just put it away. Or, or something just catches you funny. Or maybe the preacher says a word awkwardly. Or they're in a place. I tell you, there's times when it's been embarrassing. I'm a preacher. There was a time I was preaching in Michigan. It was about 450 people in the audience where I was preaching, and it was a very conservative place, very conservative. And I got up, and it was, it was somewhat awkward that a person from Las Vegas was preaching at this very conservative place in northern Michigan. So I got up, and I thought, okay, I got to bring the energy. And the pulpit was much like this. So I got up to preach, and when I got up to preach, I was kind of telling a few funny stories or anecdotes, and, and people were laughing. But then I realized, you ever notice when people are laughing at you? and not with you. The pulpit was like this, and I was standing, and I realized my fly was all the way down. And for about three minutes, I was there speaking about the timeless truths of the Word of God, and all of the junior high boys were like, it's embarrassing. I mean, what do you do in a situation like that? You're like, let us pray, you know? (laughs) Every head bowed, every eye closed. No peeking. (laughs) It's a bad place. Well, God has just come to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Yes, Lord, I know. You've been told me I'm going to have a son. Perhaps it will be like a spiritual son or somebody who I've influenced. Or he's like I said, no, you're going to have a son, and you're going to have a son with Sarai. And the Bible tells us that Abraham, he laughs. <laughs> right. Because Abraham knows, oh man, I'm still a man. But then he's looked at Sarai. It's like, huh? Maybe not. I don't think this is going to happen. It is absolutely unbelievable. Look at verse number 18. So he starts to set out alternatives. God, you might not understand, because in verse number 17 says, I'm 100 years old, and Sarai is 99 years old. And Abraham said, 
God, let Ishmael, oh God, uh, Ishmael might live before thee. God, could we just, I, I know this is really cool that you want to do this, but God, I'm 100, my wife's 90. We have this 13-year-old boy that's living inside of our home, and he's my son, it's a surrogate uh, relationship. Could, could he be the one? Notice there's no alternatives. When you're doing the work of God, God has one way. And all of the schemes and all of the plans and all of the desires, it goes back, no, I've got one way. It's going to be to you and Sarah. It sounds unbelievable. It's so unbelievable you might even laugh at it. But there are no alternatives. Notice this, number three. What I'm going to do is going to last forever. Verse number 19 says, And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. Thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. In Genesis chapter 18, so you can take your Bibles and go to the next chapter if you'd like, or you can read along on the screens. In Genesis chapter 18, the promise is again revealed by Almighty God to Sarah. The Bible tells us that God and Abraham were friends in the book of James. So God comes and speaks with Abraham. And when they speak, they're having coffee and donuts, if you will. And Sarah is inside of the tent. In fact, whenever the Lord sees, uh, whenever Abraham sees the Lord approaching his tent, he says, Sarah, get some food ready because we've got guests who are coming. And when he comes, this is the Lord. The Lord meets with Abram and they're sitting outside of the tent, I imagine on like a patio type area in front of where they're sitting. And Sarah's inside and she's, she's maybe kneading the dough with her 90-year-old fingers and maybe her hunched over back. She's taking care of all of the fixings to make sure that lunch is prepared and good for all of these important guests that are, are the ambassadors of the Lord and the Lord himself. And so they're out there and the Bible tells us that God inquires about Sarai. In verse number nine, the scripture says, and they said unto him, where is Sarai thy wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. I'm gonna make you a young man again. All right. I'm going to return unto you the time of life. You ever seen those billboards with the pictures? How old do you think this patient is? Oh, he's like maybe 50, 55, 60. He's 906 years old. And look at that six-pack abs on him. Wow, try this pill. <laughs> this is not going to be through some pharmaceutical remedy. This is God. It's going to take a 100-year-old man, and he's going to restore unto him the vigor of youth. He's going to make him the perfect age. 45 years old. <laughs> and I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in years. Before you start to think that they were, they were a healthy 100, <laughs> they, they were a good 100. I saw an interview with Sylvester Stallone the other day, and people were asking, how old do you think Sylvester Stallone is? And they were like, oh, like late 50s, maybe early 60s. And Sylvester Stallone said, I'm 77 years old. 
yo, Adrian, you know, he's 77. And here's this big, muscular, rocky, Rambo kind of dude who can still do amazing things and carry fake guns and blow up fake things. He's awesome, right? But he's 77. He, that's a good 77. Abraham's a bad 100. <laughs> Look what the scripture says. He says, now Abraham and Sarah, they were old and well-stricken in years. Nobody was making a billboard about how young and vigorous they were. They were old and well-stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Not trying to be inappropriate, but understand, she has not had a female cycle, a menstrual cycle, for decades. Her, her childbearing years were back a long time ago. And she has not had that childbearing um, gift inside of her for many years. It ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore, when Sarah hears this, because Sarah's eavesdropping on the conversation. Who does that? And so she's eavesdropping on the conversation, and Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? And this is what's interesting, too. Abraham, Abraham doesn't, well, I, could, I could still be a dad. But when it's talked about Sarah, like her being a mom, she's like, well, I don't know, she's 90. This is, notice, notice Sarah's response to Abraham being the dad. After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also? <laughs> uh, we don't do that anymore. The Bible says, <laughs> And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Saying, Surely, saying, I saying, shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? And here's the question in verse number 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Isn't that a great question? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Here's a hundred-year-old man, and you're going to have a baby. And here's a 90-year-old woman, and you're going to have a baby. Right. Like that's ever going to happen. Right. There is no in vitro fertilization. There is no freezing the eggs. There is none of this. No, old dude, old lady, are going to be together and have a child. That just doesn't happen. Is anything too hard for God? And the Lord asked that question to Abraham. Is anything too hard for God? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. The Lord is of great power. He's mighty. The Lord, out of his own breath, spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light. There's light. He said, let there be, let there be land. There's land. He said, let there be trees and grass and flowers. Trees, grass, flowers. And our God, who's an amazing God, think about how amazing God is. God is so creative and so diverse. He created a raccoon and a giraffe. How different are those things? And not only did he create a raccoon and giraffe, he, he ventured out into other areas of amphibians and reptiles and fish and birds. He created an ostrich and a penguin. How similar but different are they? He created the beautiful parrots and the canaries. I don't think he created pigeons. <laughs> I, I can't prove it from the Bible, but they are might be the spawn of hell. I can't prove that from the Bible, 
I'm just, it's a personal opinion and you should never just trust my opinion or my experience, but those things are nasty. <laughs> he created it all. And then he formed into the dirt the outline of a man and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. How does somebody, a being, take dirt and create a human body like yours? Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? Oh, the answer is obviously no. And so Abram and Sarai, they laughed because it's unbelievable. They laughed because they know their own circumstances. Oh, they laugh because they've explored all the alternatives. But God's going to give them Isaac. You know what the name Isaac means? If you don't look at the screen, the name Isaac means laughter. God's going to bring into this home of senior citizens, a hundred-year-old whose next great event is death. He's going to bring into their home laughter. There's going to be a baby born into their home. And that baby's going to bring so much joy. And there's going to be so much energy. And there's going to be diapers that have to be changed. And there's going to be 2 p.m. feedings and 2 a.m. feedings. And there's going to be, there's going to be blocks and slingshots and picking up snakes and holes in his jeans. Oh, there's going to be so much joy. Because where children are, there is joy. Even the grumpiest dude inside of here, when they started seeing the pictures of the babies, did this. Oh. Oh. Michael Simmons over there sitting like this at first. The babies come up like, oh. <laughs> Grumpiest people around. Just get happy. Whenever. Why? Because the child brings joy. Take your Bibles and go over to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. <clears throat> In verse number 1. The Bible says this, And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, as the Lord did unto Sarah, as he had spoken. Look at verse number two. For Sarah conceived. What? What? She, it hasn't been with her as the way it has been with women for years. But Sarah conceived. She has, she has a little baby inside of her. There's a young life inside of her womb. And Sarah conceived, and she bare Abraham. Oh, the, it was the old dude that got her pregnant. She bare Abraham a son in his old age, and set time of which God hath spoken of him. And Abraham called the name of his son. Abraham has a son? Called the name of his son that was born unto him, who Sarah spake, who Sarah bare unto him, Isaac. And in this home, a hundred-year-old daddy is now swaddling a little baby boy. In this home, a 91-year-old mama is taking care of giving solid foods to this little child. 
A 112-year-old man is now learning to explain the birds and the bees to a young adolescent boy coming into adulthood. For crying out loud, these 115-year-old people had to teach these guys how to drive. Can you imagine what that was like? And they, they were driving not cars. They were driving lots of other stuff. At least it would have been affordable to go to the movies, two seniors, one child, please. Or go to a buffet. They're getting AARP prices. But it's, and God gives them everything. God's able, I think it's beautiful, don't you? Here's a 120-year-old man who's able to navigate a situation of learning, uh, uh, teaching a 20-year-old man how to be a man. And a mom is showing love and care where there was emptiness and barrenness, God brings joy. It was inconceivable. But God brought Isaac and reminds us that God wants our lives to be full. God wants us to know peace and he wants us to know joy. And that joy comes through a child. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Isn't that cool? God gives us a sign. What's that sign? Behold, a virgin shall conceive. It's as if God says in Genesis chapter 17, I'm going to do something that's never been done before. 90-year-old lady's going to have a baby. What? That's, that's inconceivable. Let me take it one step higher. Behold, a virgin, a young lady who was pure, had never been with a man, who was innocent and never knew the, the enjoyment of marriage. She was just a virgin. She would conceive. How does that happen? Is anything too hard for God? Oh, no. So a virgin would conceive. Her name is Mary. And she would conceive a baby, and that baby's name would be Jesus. A virgin would conceive and bring forth his son. Notice what the scripture says his name shall be called. His name is called Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel is God with us. And so God does something even greater with Abram than he did with Abram and Sarai. He brings forth his own son. And in about, uh, in about two months, the whole world will stop and celebrate the birth of this son. The year is 2023. Why is the year 2023? Because all of the calendar stopped and changed at the birth of who? This one, Emmanuel, God with us. The most transcendent figure in human history is Jesus Christ, the son of a virgin, the son of God, Emmanuel. Why did Jesus have to come? What was the purpose? Was the purpose to just show miracles? Was the purpose just to inspire us? Was the purpose just to set up a standard whereby we can know and follow uh, God's best for our life? Oh no, there was a specific reason for Jesus to come. The reasons start with the fact of sin. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 20, for there is not a just man upon earth. If you're a guest with us today, in this room, I believe are some of the best people in the entire city of Las Vegas. 
These are wonderful people here. We've gone through struggles. We've gone through life. But there are wonderful people inside of this room. But even though these are wonderful people in this room, I just have to admit to you that nobody's perfect, including this preacher. The Bible says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. The person right beside you has sinned. In fact, they probably sinned more than they want to admit. And even though they might do good, we've all sinned. It's universal. The Bible says there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. This scripture is written by the most smart man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. And is his, in his understanding and observations of human history, Solomon pens these words under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he says, there's nobody perfect. Even the person who I think is really good, they're not perfect. The one who is just, they still sin. Every one of us have the same problem. We've all sinned, haven't we? And because we've sinned, the Bible tells us that there is a great gulf fixed between us and God. There's a separation. In the book of Isaiah, written by the prophet of God, through his inspiration, the Bible says, but your iniquities, which is another word for sin, but your iniquities have separated you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Oh, just like Abraham and Sarah, we've got a hundred different schemes. We've got a hundred different ways to tell you, you make God happy this way. You need to carry your Bible. You need to wear these clothes. You need to say these words. You need to have this haircut. You need to wear this dress. You need to not wear this dress. You need to be at this place. You need to not be at this place. Oh, we have a whole lot of rules that we put in place to help us try to get to God. But the Bible says at the end of the day, you're separated. And so am I. In fact, the thing that separated us was not God's fault. It's your fault. And it's my fault because we've all sinned. But our iniquities, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. So there is this frustration that even our prayers, we go to God, we're like, you know, I pray and I just feel like it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Feel like my prayers aren't being accomplished and your sins have hid his face from you. Why? Because we're separated from God. And in all of our schemes, we find setback and setback and setback and setback. And in those schemes and in those setbacks, God reminded Abraham and God reminds us that he made a way many years ago to avoid the sorrow. What's the sorrow? The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse number 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But check this out. He that believeth not is condemned. What? There's, there's, not a, there's not a get out of hell free pass. Nope. You're condemned and I'm condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned when? Already. You're already condemned. I'm already condemned. And so, man, that make, I don't know about you, that makes me feel bad. That even though I try to be religious, even though I try to be good, even though I might practice some good disciplines in my life, I'm condemned already, and so are you. We're all in the same boat. We've sinned, and because of our sin, we deserve not to go to heaven, but every last one of us have earned hell for our sins. That stinks. We're condemned. That's why there's a Savior. 
The Bible tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. For he, that's God the Father, hath made him, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God understood your condition and my condition, that we all deserve to go to hell because we're all sinners, aren't we? And someday we're all going to stand before a holy God and we're going to give an account for our sins. And I don't know about you, but the Bible says that Solomon, the wisest man ever said, oh, you might do good, but you sin also. And that sin's like... <laughs> and so we're condemned. And God knew that our state would never be good enough to merit favor with a holy God. So he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. And he came to a cross... And he died on a cross to pay for your sins and mine. He took nails in his hands. They beat him. They spit in his face. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. They called him the worst names imaginable. And God Almighty, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, as a sheep before his shears is dumb, yet he opened not his mouth. He took your sins and he took our sins, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. The whole story of Jesus coming and being born in a manger would continue with the fact that he died on a cross to pay for your sins and mine. It was a horrible death. It was a death full of suffering, pain, agony. But the Bible tells us he does this because there's no other way for our sins to be paid for. I'll never be good enough to get to heaven. I'll never be religious enough to get to heaven. I'll never be baptized enough times to get to heaven because my sin has separated me from God. But Jesus Christ is the one way to heaven. And so he says, you must be saved. In Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13 becomes even more clear. It's bold there. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. The only way to find salvation is through the Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. My friend, I know this that you and I share the same condition. I'm a sinner just like you are. And I know this, because of our sin, we'll never be good enough to go to heaven. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we are damned to spend eternity in a place so bad, the Bible calls it hell. That's what we deserve. But Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again from the dead, proving that his sacrifice was good enough to make our sin debt go away. So the question is this, have you ever received the gift of Jesus Christ? Have you ever called upon him and received him as your savior? Have you ever been, can I use a Bible word, saved? If you were to ask me, Matt, are you going to heaven? With confidence, I would say yes. Not because I'm a pastor, not because I go to church every Sunday, not because I've been baptized. I'm going to heaven because when I was a young man, in a church service similar to this one, I understood the gospel. Oh, I had heard about Jesus and known about God my entire life, but it wasn't until I was a young man that I realized, oh, I'm a sinner. Because I'm a sinner, I deserve hell. 
but I realized that Jesus paid for my sin. And he was buried and he rose again to prove that his sacrifice was good enough for my sin too. And so as a young man, in a church service similar to this one, I prayed a prayer and I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Because I'm a sinner, I know I deserve to go to hell. But Jesus, I believe you died for me. You were buried and you rose again to pay for my sin. And in the best way I know how, I ask you to save me. Please forgive me of my sins and take me to heaven when I die. You say, it's that simple to go to heaven? Yeah, it's somewhat unbelievable, isn't it? Isn't that unbelievable? It would be funny if there were another way, but there are no alternatives. What's fascinating, it's everlasting. Oh, you can try schemes, but you'll only find setbacks because there was a Savior given to you many years ago. He is the one way. And without him, there's no other way to heaven. The Bible's so emphatic about it. The scripture teaches this over and over and over again. The scripture says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Oh, friend, are you on your way to heaven? If, if your life were to be taken and you were to stand before a holy God this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow, would you have the confidence that heaven is your home? Are you hoping that your schemes are working? Your religion, your experience, your good works, maybe, that, maybe my ignorance or perhaps even my unbelief. I just don't believe that. Okay. Are you willing to bet eternity on that? Jesus says there is one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If not, today would you put your faith in the one way, Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you for your word and the time together today. I pray that you'd use it for your glory and may it accomplish your will. And if there's someone here who does not have the certainty that heaven is their home, I pray that today they'd put their faith in you. May I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.